So we're actually going to be uh, this morning in Exodus chapter 19. So if you want to turn with me there, uh, turn your phone on, uh, your tablet, whatever you've got uh, to get you into the Word. Uh, Ed asked me to continue on to join with you guys in uh, walking through Exodus. I'm excited to do that because actually the passage he gave me, I, I love this passage. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at three chapters of Exodus, or at least portions of chapters this morning. Uh, we're looking at a big chunk of uh, Exodus 17. Uh, we're looking at all of Exodus 18, and then we're looking at the first six verses of Exodus 19. And so actually what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start uh, with these verses in Exodus 19, because I think what's going on here, see, they're, they're actually like three separate stories. Uh, there's a story of where Moses and the Israelites are attacked um, by the Amalekites, and, uh, and, and it talks about the battle there and some things, and we'll get to that. Uh, but then it goes to a story about uh, Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro, and when Jethro comes and visits Moses and, and, and kind of spots some things that may not be the most healthy, and so he kind of gives Moses some advice. And, and then there's these uh, six verses in chapter 19. And when you're just kind of reading, it looks like they stand alone. Uh, but what you kind of realize as you dig into it a little bit is really God's giving us some separate stories, showing us some lessons and then in chapter 19 that we're going to begin with, he says, here's the purpose. Here's the reason. And everything I've done before up to this point, this is why. And so I want to start with that purpose this morning. Usually you kind of build up to it, right? We're going to start with that. So uh, we're going to start high, and then I'll just let you down, and you'll go away depressed. But um, let's start where God says here in chapter 19, this is what I've been up to. This is what we're going towards. He says there in verse 2 of chapter 19, says, after they set out from Rephidim, and they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mount and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Okay, like I said, I love this passage, and I love what God is telling Israel here, and I love what it means for you and me. It's not just for Israel, it's for us. Uh, and there's a lot going on here, and so much more than what we could get to today, but a few things I just want to pull out to you really quickly. Uh, one is, just notice here, there as we're reading, the conditional statement. God talks about everything he's done to them, everything he's done for Israel, and how he's brought them out. He says, I've carried you on eagle's wings. It's one of the few places in Scripture God uses poetic language, and so it's kind of important. Uh, but he says this, he, he talks about all that, and he says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. It's a conditional statement. It's if. It's a big if. And it's really important. We're not going to get into that a ton at the moment, but just hold on to that in the back of your mind. This if, if you do it, you and I have a part to play here is what God is saying. But the thing I want to pull out right now and have us look at is this idea of being priest. You will be priest, a holy nation. You guys have been walking through Exodus, and the idea of it, it's on the screen, a holy God and holy people. And I've listened to a few of the sermons in the series just in preparation. I haven't listened to all of them because a little Ed goes a long way, you know, right? But, um, but really the idea you guys have been talking about is a holy God. God is holy. And so what he's done, he's called you and I to be holy as he is holy. And so as God reveals himself and shows what he is like, it has so many consequences and so much of it plays out in our lives of what we're supposed to be like. 
And God says, I've called you to be holy. A part of being holy is being priests. He says, basically, they're two sides of the same coin. Holy people are priests, and priests are holy people. And so it really begs the question, what is a priest? What does a priest do? And if you're like me, as soon as you think that, like you run and you start researching and you spend hours digging through dictionaries and doing word studies and reading articles and looking online and, you know, let's see what Google has to say about it. And if you're like me too, you realize after those hours of study and everything, the very first thing that you read was the right thing. And so here it is. I guarantee, I'm not lying, this was the first sentence I read about this, and three hours later after studying what a priest is, this is right. The task of a priest is to minister to individuals and bring them closer to God. So Dennis Prager says, the task of the Jewish people, here in Exodus 19, they're being told, is to minister to humanity and bring as much of it as possible to God. Priests are a gateway, meant to be a gateway meant to be the bridge connecting people to God. A holy God can only be made known, wants to be made known, through a holy people. You and I basically have been called to be priests, which basically means we are matchmakers. We know this guy. His name is Jesus. And we know other people who are searching for things, who need things, who who need something And our job is to say, hey, I know this guy, and I think he'd be perfect for you. William Smith, in talking about the things that are intrinsic in being a priest, this is important for us to grab onto. He says the first thing about being a priest is divine choice. You cannot wake up one day and decide you're going to be a priest. God decides he's called you to be a priest. You can't do it unless God wants you to do it. And let me let you in on a little bit of secret. He wants you to do it. It says right here in, in, in chapter 19, there in verse 5, he says, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the, all, all the earth is mine, there in verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will be my chosen people, a treasured possession. I will give you the task, the responsibility the blessing of getting to connect me to the world. Isn't that awesome? God has chosen us to do that. It is an awesome responsibility, and it's amazing that we get to do it. Here's the deal, too, though. Just as much as you have to be chosen to do it, you can't choose to get out of it. Once God has called you to do it, it's only him that can release you. And so you can't wake up one day and say, you know what? I don't feel like being a priest today. I'd rather not connect people to Jesus Christ. I'd rather flip them off as they're cutting me off in traffic. You can't do that. You can't do it. You can't choose. Um, whenever I'm frustrated in ministry, and I, I shouldn't share this with you all, but you're not my church, so I'm not frustrated with you guys ever. So, but whenever I'm frustrated in ministry, I, I, I usually I call my dad, and, and I ask my dad for advice. And my dad's a pastor, and he, he's kind of wise. And so I, I'll, I'll ask him you know, about stuff. And, and, and I hate going to my dad and asking my dad for advice. But I still do it because my dad tells me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And uh, usually I'll, I'll, I'll bellyache and I'll moan and complain and, and everything like that to him for a while. And I know it's always going to two questions at the end. 
And my dad always says this. He starts off and he says, so why are you doing it? Why are you in ministry? Why are you a pastor? And I always pause for a while because I'm a smart aleck, and so I'm always trying to think of the most smart aleck response. So it's usually something like, you know, I love, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I love the misery and that sort of thing and stuff like that. But really, no, I, I have to come to, at the end of it, I have to say, no, it's because God's called me to do it. He said at some point, for whatever reason, I don't understand why, Matt, I want you to be a pastor. And it still, like, baffles me to this day. But he said it. He called me to it. And my dad said, so has he released you from it? Oh, man, I hate that question. And I say, no. And he says, well, okay, so you know what you got to do. Yes. And that's the conversation. You see, my dad doesn't tell me what I want him to tell me. I want him to say something like, you know, God said to Moses, like, I'll smite these people and make a holy nation out of you and that sort of thing. But no, my dad says, no, God's called you to it. He put you in it. Only he can take you out of it. Has he taken you out of it? No. Okay, then keep plowing on. Keep going for it. So that's an important thing for you and I to both know about being a priest. You see, the New Testament talks about all believers being priests. So as frustrated as it might be, as hard as it might be, you cannot wake up one day and just say, I'm done with this. Can't happen. So just get over it. The fourth thing that uh, William Smith said, and I'm, I'm skipping two and three on purpose, but he said the fourth thing that is intrinsic in being a priest is intercession. Intercession on people's behalf, going to God on people's behalf, being that bridge for people. So if you're going to be a priest, which you've all been called to be priests, The things you have to do, you have to know. God's chosen you, and he can only take you out of it. And your job is wrapped up in the whole idea of, am I bringing people to Jesus Christ? Am I making that connection for them and him? Okay, so we could, like, stop right there and, like, leave, and you guys would be like, this guy's amazing. He's, like, three times shorter than Ed is in, like, his sermons and that sort of thing. But we won't stop there because there's so much more. So here's this idea. We've been chosen, and that is amazing. That is huge. That is so big. And, oh, my goodness, the responsibility, but also just the fact that we get to walk around and say we're the chosen people of God, and he's given us this amazing task. And, and how cool are we, right? So get this. Chosen does not mean superior. Being chosen by God does not mean you're better than other people. Right? Like, I'll let that sink in for a second, because I know, like, like, I'm serious, man. I'm going to say some things, just so you guys will be like, we never want him back. So, Because I thought I was getting a free weekend this weekend, and then Ed called and said, you know, hey, I want you to preach for me. So now he gets a free weekend. Um, but chosen doesn't mean you're better than other people. And you say, you know what, Matt? I would never say that. I know you would never say that, because that's not the sanctified thing to say that you're better than other people. But you might think it. I guarantee you, we have all ran into people, people in the church, holy people, who we walked away and you thought, that person thinks they're better than me. It's happened, right? If you say, no, I, that's never happened, then it might be you. I, <laughs> yeah. This idea that being chosen makes you better than other people, it is an idea that is put into us from the very get-go. Think of the playground. Anytime there is any game, whether it's Red Rover, kickball, dodgeball, basketball, anything with two teams, what usually happened? Two captains were picked, 
And then the captains started selecting teams. And as soon as they started selecting, you started looking around and sizing everybody else up. And I'm better than them, and I'm better than them. And now they're, they're going to get picked before me. But when you got chosen, what did that mean? You were better than everybody else that you got chosen before. Simple concept. It's actually in our DNA. It's a survival mechanism. We size people up. We, we try to separate ourselves from them. How can I be better than them? How can I be more desirable, desirable from them? And this thing is reinforced in us, not just from the playground, but our entire lives. Think of every job you've ever applied for. Think of every scholarship, school selection, anything, marriage. When you get chosen in your mind, it automatically means I'm better than some other people. I mean, isn't marriage just like you get chosen because you're better looking than other people? Right? That's what it means, doesn't it? I mean, that's what marriage is all about. That's what my marriage is all about. And so, like, when you're, cho when you're chosen, you're like, I'm better looking than these other people. And, like, when you're chosen in high school, like, you met your spouse in high school, it means you're really better looking than other people. Right, Ed? And so, I mean, just... It's just the way the world works. It's reinforced in our minds. And so here's the deal. When God comes down and God says, I have chosen you to be holy, which means set apart. I've chosen you to be priests, which is an amazing responsibility and task. And it's a title that brings with it so much weight. If we're not careful, just bred into us through our culture, just even our DNA, we can start to believe we're better than some other people. We can start to believe especially we're better than people outside the church. We look at their lives, we look at how they live, and we just say, I'm not that way, I'm better than that. Here's the deal. You're not. The only thing that separates you from them is the person you know. That's the only difference. The things that bog them down and mess with them and are hard for over them to come are the same things you have. The only thing is you know Jesus Christ. I don't know if you guys ever feel this way uh, or you've heard people express this and talk about it. I, I know sometimes I do and I've, I've also heard people. Um, I, I think especially in, in today's day and age, there's just a question of why are people not interested in the church? Why are not people not interested in coming to church? Why are people not interested in Jesus Christ. Um, why are people not interested? Why do they back away from this message of being holy, being like God? That's what God wants for us and how amazing that is and how freeing it is. And why would they not want that? And if I could like simplify that a little bit, I, I think it might be a couple things. There's two things that came to my mind as I was thinking about this. Because I've heard this. I, even at Park Place, I, I had someone say to me one time, and well-meaning, not judgmental, but just I, they said to me, they said, I just don't understand how people don't want to come to church. Let me suggest maybe just two ideas. Because if we're called to be priests, and we're the ones that are supposed to be connecting people to Jesus, and people don't seem to want to be connected to Jesus, maybe people aren't as interested in coming to church and knowing about Christ because they've met too many holy people. They've met too many people who have allowed this kind of thinking that they're chosen, they're holy, so they're better, seep into their mind slowly and affect how they live their life and how they relate to others. But also maybe it's because they feel like there are expectations with being holy and being like God that they can never live up to. I'm not that way, they say. I'm not like that. I'm not that good. 
They think that they have to be a certain way and there's these certain things that are asked of them and being holy that they're just like, that, that's just too much, that's huge, no, no way, you're, you're, you're out of your mind. You might be like that, but that's not for me. And so people back away. And so what we're going to see, what I want to show you and walk through a little bit is if we're called to be priests, and priest means bringing people to God, connecting people to God, basically I want to talk about, and I think what these couple chapters uh, show us uh, before chapter 19 is how not to stink at being a priest. How not to allow some of these ideas that go along with maybe I'm better than other people to seep in and how they manifest themselves and what they really look like. And we get these from some of these uh, stories, these passages about Moses and, and the people around Moses. And so the first one I want to look at with you is Exodus 17, 11 through 15. And just a real quick context to this. Uh, is that uh, Moses and the Israelites, they're attacked uh, by the Amalekites. And, uh, and, and so Moses sends Joshua out uh, to fight them. And uh, Moses goes up on a, a hill and he's overlooking. And uh, somehow they find out that, that Moses, when he has his arms raised, uh, things are going one way for him. And when he lowers them, they're going another way. And so that's where we pick it up. It says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his, hand, his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. So this kind of just weird story, right? Like makes absolutely no sense to us. Doesn't have anything to do with like military strategy or anything. As long as Moses, who is not in the battle, holds his hands up, they're winning. But when he lowers them, you know, they're losing. Okay, right, whatever. But it was tiring. Have you ever tried to hold your hands up for a while? Tiring. Moses couldn't do it. And so here's the first lesson for us to know about as we try to be priests and connect people to God. Holy people are not independent. Holy people are not independent. Because they have limits. Do you ever feel like, as someone that's supposed to be you know, holy, somebody that's supposed to have the Spirit of God in them, that you're just supposed to be able to go and go and go and go? Like there's that expectation there. Like people expect you, like every time they ask you to do something, for you to be able to say, well, yes. Because you know why? Because I prayed this morning, and so I'm full of the Spirit, and I can do whatever. You ever feel like that? Like you're asked to just go beyond what your natural limits are? That somehow when you come to Jesus Christ, just the need for sleep just vanishes from your life so you can keep going 24-7 because stuff has to get done. People need to know about Jesus. And what's more, the bill's got to get paid, right? And that for you to even admit that you might need help, that you're running up against it, that somehow might say, Jesus isn't Jesus. God isn't God anymore. Here's the deal. You have limits. Jesus even had limits. Scripture time and again talks about how after ministering, Jesus grew tired. And two things he usually did when he grew tired. He either slept or even more importantly, he went and he prayed. Because holy people are not independent people, they are interdependent people. They first and foremost depend on God. 
The thing about being holy, the thing about being a Christian, the thing about attesting to Jesus Christ is knowing that we cannot do it all. We have shortcomings. And so we need help. And more than anything, we need God's help. We need Jesus more than any of it. But what's more is we're willing to admit we need other people as well. That in this calling to be a priest, God has chosen us, but being chosen doesn't mean we do it on our own. Man, that's hard, right? How easy it would have been for Moses when Aaron and her walked up and they said, hey man, you're getting tired. And Moses says, no guys, back off. This one's mine. God chose me to hold my hands up. Right? How many of us would do that? And here's the deal. If we are called to be priests, if we are called to connect people to Jesus, the reason why holy people are not independent people is because independent people push people away. How are you supposed to connect people to Jesus Christ when you're constantly pushing them away saying you don't need them? How are you supposed to invite them in and let them know they are of value, they are of worth, they have something to offer? How are you supposed to show for them and demonstrate that you don't have it all together? The only reason you make it through the day is because the one you point to and look to, he has it all together. And sometimes by allowing and admitting and knowing our limitations, we can go so much further because where we come to our end, that's where Jesus picks up the slack. But know this, he has also given people around you to hold you up and to lift you up and to help you accomplish the thing he has called you to do. Don't push them away thinking, I need to be able to do this on my own. It's my calling and my calling alone. No, he's called everybody to be priests. Allow them to help you. That's a really hard thing for us to talk about, right, to admit, because actually in our country, we celebrate independence, which is perfect to talk about on Independence Weekend, right? Fourth of July weekend, let's shoot off some fireworks, celebrate, right? I'm my own person. I'm by myself. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. Our, our world, our culture, our nation, we celebrate that. We encourage that. We tell people this is where you need to get to. Stand on your own. Be by yourself. Don't rely on anyone for anything because why? They will let you down. That is counter gospel. The gospel is all about your need for something else, your need for someone else, and your need for other people around you. God has given you a gift of people being around you. Do not think for a second that just because you're holy, just because you've been chosen, that that means you need to go it alone. Because when we do that way as holy people, we push people away, and people get the idea that that's what it means and that's what it's about, and people don't want that. And they don't need that, and they see that as cold and calloused and calculated. So that's the first thing that we see from here. The second comes to us in chapter 18. Verses 13 to 18, just a quick context for this one. Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, he, he, he visits and, and they have a time uh, together. Uh, but what we see here is Jethro kind of sees some things going on uh, in the camp with Moses. And he notices how uh, they're maybe not the most healthy. And, and so he kind of points it out. It says there in Exodus 18, 13 through 18, he says, Next day Moses took his seat to serve, up, to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, 
What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Here's the deal. Really quickly, bridging the last point and this next point. We are not independent because even as much as we might be self-aware, we have blind spots and we need other people to point out our blind spots. Moses knew with the Amalekites that he needed to raise his hands and he couldn't do it on his own or he'd get too tired and then Israel would fail. And so he allowed Aaron and Hur to come and hold his arms up as ridiculous as that seemed. But here, knowing, seeing, just having to be able to feel that Moses was going to wear himself out, he wasn't asking for the same kind of help and he needed Jethro to point it out to him. He had blind spots. You need other people to point out your blind spots. But this is what I want to focus on here in chapter 18. Holy people are not indispensable. But they are highly important. You are not indispensable. Scripture time and again talks about God tells Israel, he says, if you won't do this, I will raise up other people to do this. When we take the idea that we are chosen so we are better than other people, we become too important to fail. It's unthinkable to us that God would do anything without us. You have things going on in your life that you feel like right now, if you don't do it, it won't get done. Don't you? You can think of it right now, can't you? I want you, I'm going to challenge you in this next week, in the next seven days. Don't do it for one day. Whatever it is that you're feeling like, if I don't do this, the world will come crashing down. I want you to do it, and I just want to see, come back and tell me, You'll have to come to Park Place, but come back and tell me, did the kingdom of God crash and crumble to the ground because you didn't do it? Is heaven still there? Is God still on his throne? Did not happen. We, we can kid ourselves into thinking that we are too important. And what we see in Scripture with Israel is when we get to this idea that we are too important and we are so important that it doesn't matter what we do That's where we get into trouble. Israel, time and again, they, they said, you know, God's chosen us. We're his chosen people. We're a nation of priests. We're holy people. We're too important for God to forget us and forsake us and let bad things happen to us. What happened whenever they thought that? They got invaded. They got ransacked. They got deported. Remember that conditional statement. If you obey my commands and keep my covenants, then... You're not indispensable, but you are highly important. You're not indispensable because the only one that is indispensable is Jesus Christ. The only one that must last, the only one that must go on, the only one that must receive the glory is Jesus Christ. And when we think that we are indispensable, when we think that we are irreplaceable, it puts the focus on us rather than him. And we start to even create systems to where we're needed and it can't happen without us. Look at what Moses was doing. Everything that he was doing, everything that he was about was good intentions. He said, look, if I don't do this, the people come to me. They seek God's will. And so I, I give them God's will. He wasn't doing it for the glory. And yet Moses had made it more about himself than he was making it about God. People were coming to Moses. And before long, you guys all know how that would be. It would be Moses 
that is the purveyor of all truth, not God himself. We are not indispensable, but we are highly important. God has given us a holy task. He calls us to do that. He wants us to do it. We get the joy of doing that, but we cannot make the focus and the emphasis about us. And when we think we're indispensable, we do that. But the other thing that God wants you to know is don't kill yourself doing it. Again, there are other people to help. There are other capable people. There are people to lift you up and to support you. There are people to lead you. There are people to take the reins when you're too tired and for you to take the reins back when they're too tired. Don't kill yourself doing this. It's not on you. It's not all on your shoulders. It's not your burden to carry alone. And so don't kid yourself into thinking that I'm better than other people and so if I don't do it, nobody else can. Nobody else is qualified. God is perfect at raising people up to carry his banner. Allow him to do that in your life and in the lives of those around you. So don't think that you have to carry this all on your own. You'll burn yourself out. You'll kill yourself and your family and the relationships around you trying to do that. The last thing comes a little bit later in Exodus 18. Where as Jethro has given his spiel to Moses about what they should do, he says this. If you do this and God so commands... You will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And so here's the last point. Holy people are not perfect. So they will listen to advice. I think a mark of a holy person is someone who will listen to other people. I'm sorry, but if you know Jesus Christ and you're filled with his spirit it still doesn't mean you're always right. You weren't right before, you're not right now. Husbands, your wives are always right. You're not always right, okay? So holy people aren't perfect, but they will listen to advice. They will take advice. And what's more, they will even take that from people outside the church. When we as holy people, people connecting others to God, when we go out to the world as though we're the only ones to offer anything, and they try to share their life with us and some wisdom and insight that they have. And we say, no, 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 sorry. I, I, I'm full of the Spirit. I don't need what you've got. That turns them off to Jesus Christ. And that's not what priests are called to do. I had a friend I was talking to this week, and, and, and he said something, and I, I stopped the conversation. I said, i, I, I got to write this down because this is perfect. This goes with what I'm preaching. I'm not going to give his name because I don't want him to get too full of himself. But he said this. He, he said, people are only interested in you if the feeling is reciprocated. People are only interested in what you have to offer if you are willing to be interested in what they have to offer. And this idea that as Christians, as people of Jesus Christ, this idea that we are the only ones that have anything to give and the world and people out in it have nothing to offer us, that does not work with being priest and trying to bring people into contact with Jesus Christ. When we walk to people and we say, hey, I want to share with you some advice. I, I, I want to pour into your life. And you say, yeah, you know what? I'd like to do that as well. You say, no, 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 sorry. You don't have a biblical background. You're not going to quote scripture to me, so I'm really just not interested. That will turn them off. And we won't say it that way, but there are ways we do that, right? But look here, Moses. Moses is given sound advice, good advice, life-saving advice from a guy who wasn't a Jew. His father-in-law was a Midianite priest. He was a priest for other gods. He attested to Moses' God, but he, 
He said, he is God, but he said, you know, there's these other gods too. And normally we'd say, oh my goodness, that guy, he is not, he doesn't go to church. Don't listen to him. It's good advice. And Moses took it and look what it did. And I guarantee you that right there, that simple act was probably one of the greatest testimonies about who Moses' God was to Jethro and a lot of other stuff that Moses did. The willingness and the openness and the humility that is expressed there to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a perfect person. Just because I thought it and I prayed about it and God didn't check me on it doesn't mean I, I don't have to listen to you. He took good advice. So take advice. It doesn't mean you have to have the right answer. And when you stand up and you say, I think this, and somebody else says something different, and you're like, you know what, that's actually a really good idea, but because I thought of this, if I say I'm wrong, maybe I'm not the holy person I thought I was. Like, that's just like a bad way of thinking. But you can like see that in people's minds, right, as they're thinking about stuff. Don't think that way. You don't have to be better than them. You can admit you have shortcomings. And actually, I encourage you to do that because the point that God is after, what he's raised you and me up to, the freedom he has given us is for a purpose. And the purpose is this. You have been chosen to stand out so you can fade back. You've been chosen to stand out so you can fade back. Take Matthew 5, where Jesus Christ is talking to us. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Stop right there. Jesus says, stand out. Be different. Have works in your life. Live in a certain way that people see you and they say, Oh my goodness, what in the world is different about you? That is your calling to do. But here's the problem. In our world today, when we talk about standing out, what does that mean? That means, can I post more on Facebook than the other people? It means, can I yell louder than them? Can I pick it harder than them? Can I come up with an argument to talk over them? That somehow by doing that and being that way, I will be more audacious and more headline grabbing than everybody else. And that will stand out and people will see me first. That's not all what Christ is saying here. Because the thing we know about light, Christ says, be a light. The thing we know about light is light at the right levels can illuminate. It can show us things. It can, we say, shine a light on something that we didn't know was there before. But we also know that when a light is too bright, it can be blinding. And you can't see what's right in front of your face. You've been chosen to stand out. But to only stand out in such a way that as soon as people recognize you, you fade back and they see the one it's really about. You have been chosen to shine a light on Jesus Christ. But when we take this idea, when we allow this idea that we are chosen so we're better... The light becomes blinding and it becomes all about us. When we carry a superiority complex in our lives and we allow that to affect how we relate to other people, we literally place ourselves between other people and Jesus Christ and we blind them with our own light 
So Christ is not visible to them at all. You have not been called to be perfect, to be independent, or to be indispensable. You've been called to shine a light on the one who is. Live your life in such a way where you are able to point people to Christ and fade into the background just like a good matchmaker. Be kind of annoying to be set up by a friend, right, on a first date. And they say, you know, I think you guys are a really good match and you hit it off and everything. But then that friend wants to come with you like every date, right? There'd be a point where you say, you know, hey, we'd just like to get to know each other. No, 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 no. I set you guys up. Let's remember this. Like, let's have all the glory for me. Let's talk about how thankful you guys are that I set you all up, right? We can be like that, can't we? With people in Jesus Christ. We can make it more about us. There's this weight I think we feel that when we come to Jesus Christ, it means our lives are all put together. Uh, That we can't show any chinks in the armor. That we can't admit that we struggle with things. And and there are things that, that that we do want to be seen as being better at than other people in. And we really can't admit that we aren't as good as other people in those areas. But man, I, I, I'm going to tell you this morning, please do it. Admit it. I, I think it's healthy. Admit it to yourself. Admit it to Jesus Christ. Admit it to other people. Because you know why? It makes you able to stand out so you can fade back. Because as soon as you are willing to admit it, as soon as you're willing to own that, no longer is about you figured it out. What, what knowledge, what wisdom do you have to give? It, it, it's all about why is your life the way it is? Why do you think that way? Why are you able to forgive? Why are you able to show mercy? Where is this grace that you have come from? You can say, I don't know because I'm the least forgiving person in the world. I can only point you to the one I know, and that's Jesus Christ. And so what is it for you? What is the area of your life that you have a superiority complex in? Where is it that it is hard for you to admit that you are not all put together? Maybe it's one of these three. There's a lot more. I mean, we could go on for days talking about how, as people, holy people, we're not perfect. But do you have a hard time maybe admitting that you're not right all the time? Or, or, or is it, do you like the feeling of being indispensable, that it all rides on you and, and you're so busy and if you don't do it and, and my calendar's full and people need me? I can tell you for me, it's the first one. I struggle with not being independent. I hate asking people for help. If I was Moses in that situation, In that battle, I would have been struggling to hold my hands up and Aaron and her would have come along and they would have said, hey, let us help you out. I said, no, guys, I've got this. Don't worry about it. All the while, I'm like shaking and everything. And I would have dropped my hands and we would have lost. And then I would have done it the same way all over again because the area I struggle with the most is is that area of independence. I want to be independent. I don't want, want to have to ask people for anything. But when I'm willing to do that, when I'm willing to admit that I have limits, that there's a place where my own skills and my work ethic and everything that I can do comes to an end and there's still more to do, and that I need God and I need people around me and I'm willing to admit that and ask for it, 
all of a sudden I become a whole lot less bright. And so Jesus Christ gets the focus and the glory. Admit what your shortcomings are. Stop believing and acting like you have to be better than other people. You don't, because you are just like other people. The only difference, again, is the one you know. Point them to him. Show them where you fall short, and he picks up the slack. Show them how you're different now because of who he is. Show them how you still struggle with things, but he has grace and mercy, and he teaches you every day. We've been called to be priests. We've been called to connect people to God. Let's not allow our need and what's in us from way back before we could even remember this idea that by being chosen we're better affect that calling. It's an awesome one, and we get to do it. We get to admit we fall short, but he picks us up. Do you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes what you talk about and what you throw at us is, quite frankly, it is bigger than I think even we can imagine. I think if we knew how big it was, it would, we'd just fall apart from the sheer weight of it. Lord, this calling that you have given us to be priests, to, to connect people to you. It is, it is such a huge responsibility and what an amazing blessing. And Father, thank you. Thank you for in that calling, you give us the ability to be just who we are, who we are in you. That we don't have to put on a show. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We don't have to say we've got it all together because of Jesus Christ. We're able to say, this is me. This is what I struggle with. This is where I'm at right now. And I know that tomorrow I will not be there because of the one I know. And we can point people to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, whatever it is in our life that, that is that, that area that we just... We want to be superior in. We want to be better in. That, that we hold on to as a, a badge of pride. Maybe it's just across the board. We, we think the calling is to present this picture of perfection so that somehow people, people think that that's what Jesus is after. Would, would you allow us to take our guard down and to show people who we really are so that we can show them who you really are and what you're really after? Father, would we have the joy of knowing what it is to introduce people to you and see that match made and see their lives come alive because of you. And Father, if we are not in that place, if we do not have that heart, if we've been trying to keep the mask on for too long, would we let that go and be who we are in front of you? Just now, would we commit our lives and our whole soul to you and to your glory? And we say, I want to introduce people to the one I know. Father, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you make up for our mistakes? Would you empower us to be a light that shines on you 
and gives you all the glory. Lord, may our lives be that way. May our churches be that way so that our community, our nation, our world would come to know the one that we know, would come to know the new life in Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Matt uh, made mention of the general conference that's happening right now, and it's a celebration of 50 years of our denomination. Um, And uh, somehow our church is even older than that. It's a hard thing to explain, but basically it makes sense in the end. And what we've been talking about at the conference each and every day is really why this group of churches came together and formed this denomination. And uh, when we did that, we put something into place called a discipline, right, which sounds really exciting. It's like the governing document. And it talks about who we are as a church and how we're going to do things. And I want to read to you part of it that we've been talking about again and again, which is uh, it's in the part of the discipline that talks about why we would even come together and do this and make these churches. It says, the demand is urgent for organized missionary effort in order that the appalling spiritual need of the world may be met by bringing the lost to Christ. That the reason why these churches banded together and formed this group was because we saw this as the single most important thing that we as churches needed to be about. Was that we look at the world around us and we say the problems that we see are an appalling spiritual need that can only be answered by one thing, which is Jesus Christ. And so our job is to see ourselves as priests to do that. What's so incredible about what Matt talked about this morning is that it isn't just one or two people in the church that are priests. It is that all of us are priests that are matchmakers and meant to be these bridges between people. And so we go out and we live as holy people in a way that shows everyone that the single most important thing that they could ever do is come to trust Jesus. Amen? All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.